Uh, so, oh, foolish Galatians. Wow. This is a letter. Remember this. He's writing to people he loves, people that are his friends, people that he has uh, started a church with, people that he, he still communicates with, people that he's so passionate about them knowing the true gospel that he has written them this letter. He's visited them. He cares for these people. So even though he, he, he puts this out there in a bold way, um, he loves them. And, and they know this. He says, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was, was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After, and he's not saying you're a fool, and he's saying you're being foolish. There's difference. There's difference. There's a difference in being a fool and doing foolish things. Okay? One is an identity, and the other is something that we just happen to do. So he is coming back in verse three, and he's saying that, that I don't find you guys to be fools. That's why we're talking, because I know you're not fools. You're being foolish. So it's worth talking to you about these foolish things because I know you're not a fool. After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? It means asking these rhetorical questions. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law and because of your own effort? Of course not. He's answering his own questions. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. He's done the work. Just like last week, he said, don't go back to your old system. That oppresses you. That, that holds you in this personal, spiritual, and, 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 and uh, functional slavery when you try to be good enough. Christ has done the work for you. So don't go back to that. And he says that what Christ did was not in vain. It holds all the power and authority and credibility and wisdom for your life. You don't, you don't need anything else. Don't be, don't be crazy. And he says, it's the message you heard about Jesus. It's the faith in the gospel of Christ that has saved you and set you free and released you from oppression and the slavery of sin and the slavery of the flesh. He says, in the same way Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of what? Because he obeyed the law? No, because of his faith. Isn't that interesting? I'm gonna point something out at the end that maybe you didn't readily know about Abraham and what God counted him righteous for. Not because he... He doesn't even say he counted him righteous because he just happened to believe the word God told him about his future. He says he counted him as righteous because of his faith in God and what he would say about his future. It was active. He says, so the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Not in yourself. Uh, not in, in what your effort can bring about. Not in the law but your faith in God. 
What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. So he says, not only is this a reality, this was prophesied about. This was foretold. This was told that the Gentiles, the whole world, all the nations would hear and know the gospel and, and know the story, the message of Christ. He's already told you in the scriptures that it wouldn't just be for the Jews. It's not It's not prejudicial. It's not just for one people group, just like last week. Uh, Racism and prejudice is is at its very core evil and disgusting and deplorable, but it is very core a denial of the gospel. It's a denial of the message and person of Christ. And so knowing that, Christ has set us free, has set us all free. In fact, the scriptures foretold that it wouldn't just be for one people group and for the Jews. It would be for all. It looked forward to a time. You ever look forward to something? What do you look forward to in your life? I love how that is shifted there. And so I went in and read this uh, in the original language. And, and it not only does it mean to look forward to something, it means to actively anticipate it coming. So it wasn't just, I was looking forward to, oh yeah, yeah, hey, getting together. Hey, we're going to go do this. Yeah, man, looking forward to it. I say that a lot. Um, do you say that in text and stuff? Hey, you know, where do you want to get to lunch? Oh, yeah, yeah, where are we going? Oh, it sounds good. Oh, I don't know. Cool. Yeah, great. See you there tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Sounds good. Yeah, looking forward to it. And, and I say that a lot. And I was thinking about this this week. And, and I really am looking forward to it. I love people. I love hanging out. I, I love time. I love listening to people's lives and, and trying to help if they need help, whatever it may be. So I look forward to that. But sometimes I'm... You use it so much, you, you, you don't know if it, it, there's a ton of veracity in it. And there's a ton of true weight in that. that the, really? Are we really looking forward to it? Well, don't just take that at face value. He says the scriptures didn't just look forward to it. It actively anticipated to the time when God would declare all the Gentiles to be righteous. Why? Because of the law or because of what they've done or, or where they'll go and what they'll do and the things they'll set up and the systems they'll do. No, because of their faith in Christ. God proclaimed, it actively anticipated God proclaiming this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. All nations. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Oh, foolish Galatians. Foolishness. Who has cast an evil spell on you? Guys, don't, don't miss this implication here. Paul said that when we receive Christ in faith and he saves us through his grace, through his love, through his mercy, and we experience that and know that we have been set free from our sin, from our flesh, from the things that we do just because we do them. Because it's who we are. And God has brought us from death to life and set us apart to this life to glorify him and to do good things. When we know that, when we understand it, when we experience it, and we begin to live it out, when we veer off of the path, and when we go back to our old systems, when we go back to our own effort, when we go back to our religion, when we go back to doing things that we did before, when we neglect Christ and his relationship in our life, when we act like nothing, Jesus calls us to act. And when we say we love Christ, but yet our behavior and our, our, our time and our energy and our margin, our resources, and nothing that we do indicates that we even know Jesus. Paul said, it's like 
Somebody has put a spell on you. It's like the, the Credence Clearwater Revival, you know, the, you know, put a spell on you. Paul's like, you, you're acting crazy. It makes no sense. It's almost as if you are under the influence of something weird. And Paul's like, this is almost like we're on candid camera. And he's like, where are the cameras, guys? Come on out. This can't be real. There's no way people are acting this nuts. But yet, when we see the implication of this, it is illogical and it's foolish to believe that a God that can completely save us can't completely change us. That is, in and of itself, an illogical and a foolish thought. Think about this for a second. If we believe, remember, the Bible says that to the unbelieving person, the gospel is nuts. It's foolishness to those who are unbelieving, okay? It's a work of the Holy Spirit for us to understand and for him to draw us into a relationship with him. So, makes sense. To somebody who's unbelieving, that's why people are antagonistic toward the gospel. That's why they hate God, hate Jesus, make fun of it. That's why our culture is saturated with that. Antagonism toward Christianity and toward the gospel and all this kind of stuff. Not only here, but, but worldwide, okay? Because it's illogical to, to the unbelieving person. It's, it's just nutty, all right? But, but, but let's take this for a second. The Holy Spirit does its work in us, draws us in to a relationship with God through his power, and through faith, we begin a relationship with him. And we believe that God, from his seat of authority, that he is a transcendent being, that there is none like him, there's no rival, no equal, that he, did, he always has existed and will always exist. He, he transcends time and space We believe in a transcendent being who created us, created the universe and the cosmos, and did so with major implication, not only for us now, but for all of eternity in fellowship with him. Made all of that, did it with a a design and with, with great care. We believe that God, this transcendent being, sent his son to earth, who, who was God in the flesh. To, to live on this earth, to be born of a virgin, and, and to live a sinless life, and to die a cruel capital punishment Roman death on the cross in our place, to pay the penalty for sin so that the veil would be torn in two and religion would be destroyed and relationship would be ushered in. And on the third day, that God was raised from the dead and then was witnessed by over 5,000 people in his post-resurrection body, and he ate fish, and he wasn't a ghost, and, a, and, a, and whatever, and, and, then, and then ascended into heaven, and that was witnessed too, and then says he's coming back for us. Wait a minute, you believe all that, and you believe that in faith for him to save you, and that same transcendent God can't change your life? He can't change your marriage? He can't convict of sin? He, he's not worth it to live for? He's not good enough. He, he can't mend your broken life. He can't help you make decisions that will be good for you and good for others. You mean this same God doesn't have that power to completely change you and set you apart? Paul said, it's, if you believe that, it's so seemingly illogical and foolish that you, you're just under a bewitched spell. It's as if you're walking around in a trance. You know, you're, you're the walking dead. You're the walking dead, man. You're the walking dead. 
what is happening? I, we tried to watch that show. We, I, I kind of want to circle back and watch it. Bonnie doesn't. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's graphic. It's fun. Um, but, you know, it's, it's bizarre. But this is, is kind of what he's akinning it to. It's like we're a bunch of people who supposedly believe all this and have been set free to live the way God wants us to live in every area of our life, and we want to go back to the old ways. And, and it never, ever, ever seats itself in our life. And, and it, yeah, who knows what the Christian life looks like anymore. I've, I don't even know. I told somebody earlier, I, I don't even know anymore. But it certainly doesn't look like we believe all of this. If it did, boy, things would be a lot of difference in some things. But maybe it will be. Maybe God will use us. Who knows? But he said, if, if that is the case, it's as if you're under some other power. You know, it, it doesn't look right. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. It's foolish. You're not a fool. But in be- not believing this, you're acting foolish. You're acting crazy. And don't we do crazy things? Doesn't it not make sense a lot? That's what I'm saying. I, don't, I can't make heads or tails of it anymore. Can't make heads or tails of what people want and what they desire out of life. I, I can't make heads or tails of when someone talks about how they, they love Jesus, but, but there's no indication of it ever in their life. Not in their decisions, not in their life, not in their marriages, not in their families. And they, you know, I've been using this uh, one phrase. And guys, again, everything I'm saying applies to me. Like I said, I, I was so convicted about this this week. But we can't even reach the low-hanging fruit. I mean, we, we can't even fall off a log and do stuff. It's just such a hustle hard. Oh. So hard, man. I can't can't get there. This is the service of the God, the transcendent God who changed me and gave me life. Are you kidding? I'm I'm not saying this is Paul. This is Paul saying to to the Church of Galatia, and he's saying it to us. and And we have to ask ourselves these questions. I have to ask myself this question. Well, what am I, well, how do I see? What, what helps me see this? What, what helps me have joy and peace? And what, what helps me actually live for Christ? What, 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 what did all this come from? Well, Paul said it was a clear picture. He said, for the meaning of Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Paul was like, it's as if we drew it up on a board for you and took a snapshot. What's amazing about the clarity of this picture of what Christ did is that word clear means vivid or graphic in nature. It means that there's no room for ambiguity or uncertainty or confusion. That the clear picture of what Christ did for us and what he he will do for us is just incredibly vivid. It is showing up in neon colors. We can see it in front of us as if someone drew a picture and we could, oh. This is what Christ did. There's no ambiguity. There's no confusion. So everything that we just talked about that should be the bedrock and the foundation of our lives should be not only clear to us so in which it, it informs our lives, but it should be clear so that we can constantly trust him to live. It remains clear. It's not just clear once. It remains graphic and vivid in our lives. So that's why Paul says, how foolish can you be? 
I mean, it's so clear. After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. I mean, he's pointing not only to a clear picture of what Christ did and, and the fact that we can see that clear picture of what Christ did for us so that we can live in that vein. He's basically saying that the Holy Spirit has come and is doing those things among you. He is performing miracles. He's changing lives. He's changing situations. He's changing homes and marriages and friendships and the world. And he's doing it all around you. Guys, do you realize some of the people that were in the Galatian church were at Pentecost? They were at that moment, the greatest moment in church history, the greatest moment for the people of God. They, some of them were there when the Holy Spirit came upon people and this miraculous stuff started happening. People began to speak in dialects and began to prophesy and people in other dialects understood them. I'd call that a miracle. And then healings and people being changed and people far from God being reached and and whole communities being overhauled and and this stuff becoming something that no one had ever heard or seen before. The Holy Spirit was doing these miracles. He was a closer. He, Jesus, when he died, he didn't leave it open-ended. He, he closed the deal. The work of the Holy Spirit is powerful, guys. It's miracle working, and it's for life. So if it's that powerful, it can encompass your and my life for life. And it teaches us to be faithful and do what is right even when it no longer seems exciting. You get the the sense from the tone of Paul talking to them that they started out really well. And then he says, something happened along the way. The train derailed a little bit. You lost the clear picture that we drew up for you of what Christ has done. And of this transcendent God who, who loves you and in grace has set you free through his son. And it's clear. And it's not just clear one time. It's constantly clear. And he sent the work of his Holy Spirit, not just in theory, but the Holy Spirit is doing miraculous, unexplainable things in, in, around you and in your own life. And you started out loving that and living that out and doing it not only individually, but as a collection of people, and then somewhere it, it stopped. You got bewitched. You started, the, you were the walking dead. But the, the work of the Holy Spirit is powerful enough, and, and it is encompassing for life, that it not only saves us, it helps us grow, and teaches us to be faithful, and do what's right, and keep serving God with that clear picture in mind, even when it's not awesome anymore, and sexy, and exciting, and on the front end. And we're not revved up anymore. But guys, think about this. You know this in your own life. That's not where hay is made. It is made in the, in the day-to-day. And sometimes what we call the linear templates of life, just when things are just okay. And you're just doing life and you're just going along. And, and nothing's really awesome and rock starry and cool and flashing and giving you a... And, and what I feel the Christian life has become for Americans is become this constant shock and awe so that we can keep you engaged in Jesus. When the clearest picture of Christ is available to us, powerful for us, 
more and enough than anything we need. We don't need any more pictures. And it's enough to keep me engaged and going forward. And guess what? His Holy Spirit power has been given us to give us the ability to do so, even when it ain't awesome and exciting anymore. And I'm amazed at how quickly we walk away from this. I mean, please hear my heart. Please, please, I pray in this moment, God, please let these folks hear my heart. I mean this. I feel like that's what's happened already here. Oh, man, everybody was so excited about this deal. Now we can't even pick the low-hanging fruit. We can't even get to the, to the most mundane of places in our Christian walk to do anything. So it's so difficult. And it's devastating. And it's sad. It's sad when I do it in my own life. Devastating when I do it in my own life, my own family. And it's certainly devastating when you see a collection of people that have to have something more than Christ to serve him and love him and do something in the world. Because the scriptures are, are distinctly clear that that's the clearest picture that we need. That's all we need. And, and the Holy Spirit is powerful. And he's for life. And he encompasses this whole thing. And he's powerful enough to help us walk and serve and do what's right and make those decisions that honor him and that are good for us and for other people and, and to do it not only individually and with our own families but together when it no longer is the thing to do. And it's devastating when that reality comes about that that is where we are. The Holy Spirit is a closer. He finishes. He starts what he finishes. And he's calling us with his power within us to do the same. Here's what happens to us, though. It's easier to be excited and motivated for a moment than it is to be consistent and faithful for a long period of time. It just is. It's easier to get up for the one moment, right? It's easier to rise for that one time. One time we serve. One time we gather. One time we do something hard. One time we get excited. But it is a lot more difficult to be consistent and faithful over time. But that's where life is. And that's where we make our greatest impact. And this is where God does his greatest work. In those moments and in those parentheses and in those time frames when it's just, you know, it's just okay. And nothing exciting is happening. And my pastor's not cursing from the stage and not saying crazy things, so I'll come back and and, and not trying to put on a show, and not trying to whatever it may be, and not trying to do that in life, and, and, and this, this nutty stuff is not happening anymore. It's just, it's just life. It's easier to get up for the craziness and for the one moment than it is to live consistently over a period of time. What's really awesome, and here's where I want to encourage you and me today, is that this Holy Spirit that we just got done talking about, that full of miracles and power and the transcendence of God is, is in our midst and is all around us uh, in, in, God, in God's Holy Spirit power. He helps us do hard things. He, he helps us do it. See, I, I would have no ability, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit's work and power in my life to help me continue to do hard things that are good for me and that are good for others. I'm not just talking about being in the ministry. I'm just talking about life. Life's hard enough. And every day is not a rock concert. And every day is not the Super Bowl. 
And every day is not wow me with some craziness. Every day is not sexy and beautiful. And every day is not easy. And every day doesn't just draw me into where I'm tweeting and Facebook and Instagram and I can't stop but talking about this. It's not everyday life. It's not reality. But what is reality is the Holy Spirit's power. And in everyday life, when things are just okay and nobody sees you or watching you or whatever, the Holy Spirit is helping us and will help us and does help us do hard things for our good and for God's glory. And so we don't need all the fluff. We don't need all the pomp and circumstance. We don't need, I don't need my wife to be awesome, so I'll love her. I don't need my husband to be awesome, so he'll love me. I don't need my kids to, be, to, to do all these things, and, and every day is this thing, so that they'll, I'll be proud of them. And certainly, Jesus Christ does not have to get down and juggle and do dance so that I'll serve him. Paul said the picture is clear. It's vivid. It's graphic. And the Holy Spirit is a closer. When he comes to live in you, he helps you and me do the hard things that we have to do in life that are for our good and will ultimately be for God's glory. Here's what's awesome about that, though. When we do hard things that are for our good and for God's glory, and we live in, in, in that frame in our lives, our families, our decisions, our work, um, it becomes more of a joy. It, it brings more hope. It, it brings more peace. It, it's more fulfilling. I find contentment just in serving Christ and living for him. I find contentment in my relationship with him, my identity in him. And it's not about the things that are on the outside. Like Paul said, it's not the old system anymore. No more human effort. You don't need it. You've got a clear picture and you've got the closer living inside of you who can help you and me live when the lights go down and real life happens. Can I say this to you as you're, as a, I'm so thrilled and honored to be able to even speak to you but to, to, to shepherd you. You know what? Maybe we should pray and ask God to reveal this to us and to help us with this in our lives. And then, and then, maybe one day, I know this is gonna sound nuts, we might share this with a friend. We might challenge someone in our life that you love and that you care about to say, is Jesus enough? Is it just not doing it for you anymore, that whole dying on the cross for you? That whole being raised from the dead thing, that whole eternity thing, is that, is that not enough? It's just not cool enough, is it? Not awesome enough anymore. That whole Holy Spirit living inside of you. Maybe God gives you the grace and the compassion and the love after he's done his work in you. And he has much work to do in us. That we would say like Colossians 2, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So this is not just accepting, this is living. Let your roots grow down deep in him and let your lives be built on him. I mean, that is all-encompassing, guys. Let roots grow down deep and solidify themselves. And then he says, let your lives be built on Christ. How many of us can truly say our life is built on Jesus? And what we do and our thoughts and our decisions and our behavior and the way we go about life, the way we serve, 
is built on Christ. He says, when this happens, your faith will grow strong in truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. To, to, the two takeaways there from, as you've accepted Christ, you continue to follow him, so you gotta continue to follow him in faith. Your roots grow down, your life is built on him. Then guess what? Fruit happens, things happen, good things. Your faith grows, you become strong. And then you're a thankful person. We got Thanksgiving coming up. On the 13th and 20th, we're gonna kind of pause on this and we're gonna talk about gratitude from a biblical perspective and we're gonna talk about what it means to be a thankful person and to overflow with thankfulness. So we'll talk about that a little more later. Let's wrap this up. Abraham believed God. He says, well, well where do we get this? Okay, so we, we know that, that to forsake what God has done to us is like, it's like, it's crazy. It, it doesn't make any sense. It makes us look foolish and makes us look confused because of what Christ has done, because of the clear, clarity of the picture of what he's done for us, because we have the closer living inside of us and the Holy Spirit who, who helps us live. is not only saves, but sustains and helps us grow. And these things that we grow down deep in and base our lives on. Where does this come from? Paul decides to use an Old Testament example, which I find so interesting. Uh, because there's a mixture in this church, just like there is in our world, of different people from different backgrounds. And, and there's a mixture in this church of Gentiles and Jews, and that was the problem. Pe- people were coming into the church and, and were teaching a false gospel. And they were m- doing false teaching, and they were telling lies. And they were telling the Gentiles that they had to convert to Judaism and then be saved. And, and, and then they were okay. And, and Paul said, that's, that's not the true gospel. So he intentionally communicates this to speak against that, and to bring good teaching and clarity to the people that were hearing it and being confused by it. And he uses the greatest of Old Testament examples, Abraham, the father of all nations. And he says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of what? Because of his faith. The scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentile righteous. How? Because of their faith. Verse 9 So all you, all, Gentile, Jew, everyone who put their, what, faith in Christ, share the same blessing Abraham received, why? Because of his faith. What's interesting about this is that the law, you will say, well, Abraham had to obey the law. Well, really? Guess what, guys? The law was not given until 430 years after Abraham. What? Mm, interesting. Interesting that not only God counted him righteous for his faith, but that Abraham didn't have the Mosaic law. He didn't have the laws of which God set up for his people to operate within. The Bible says that he was counted as righteous because of his faith in God. So he takes the oldest and biggest patriarch, the, the guru, the, the one that everybody looks to when you evoke the name. You know, we got our gurus too in American Christianity. And, and when somebody evokes their name, it's like, oh, yes, truth. Spray it on me. This would have been the case here too as well. This is the guru that he's showing them. He says, you know what, the guru the Old Testament guru, the patriarch, 
the one who God blessed all the nations through. He told Abraham in that unbelievable scene that that his descendants would be as the sands on the seashore. It would be immeasurable. This guy was not counted as righteous because he was a law abider, because he kept the law and had a system. He was counted as righteous because of his faith. And it wasn't just because of his blind faith. It was his faith in someone, his faith in God. Because practically speaking, it was 430 years before they had a measure of the law to even follow. Wow. Gotta have faith. (laughs) My buddy Joel and I used to uh, have this saying, and we used to insert different names, speaking of the gurus, insert different names in here to try to prove the same point. And so we could get a little goofy with who we inserted in there as their names. But I want to say this to us today. Because of faith in Christ, it is faith in Christ alone that saves. And that safe faith that saves, and that same God that saves us through the power of his Holy Spirit sustains us and helps us grow and can do so over a period of our life and over all of time, even when it's not thrilling anymore, seemingly. And then we're ushered into his presence in eternity. That faith in Christ, his finished work on the cross, the message of the gospel is enough. So it's faith in that that saves. In that alone. Nothing else. And because of the Abraham thing, and because of our own proclivities and own tendencies to think that we're going to be okay because of who we know and who our parents are and what lineage we have. Paul makes a distinction there that that's not true, and he makes a distinction with us. So me and my buddy Joel used to say, it doesn't matter if your dad's Billy Graham or your mom was Mother Teresa. And you, just, you just put your names in there, okay? Put, put your various gurus in there. Nothing wrong with gurus. God used Billy Graham greatly. My, my father-in-law, who just retired from 50 years of ministry, was an alcoholic and a uh, a former military serviceman who was uh, wild and crazy and got saved at the Billy Graham crusade. Okay, so God, God uses these people just like he used Abraham. But it doesn't matter if that's your daddy or if your mom's Mother Teresa or whatever, Beth Moore. It doesn't matter if your mom is Beth Moore. Right? Lisa Turkhurst. Whoever you want to put in there. Joyce Meyer. Who, I don't know. I don't know who all the gurus are. I have no idea. Salvation is not inherently passed down. Aren't you glad? It is faith in Christ alone. You got to have faith. This is what religious self-effort and salvation by faith is. We're going to pray together, Okay. This is what religious self-effort does. We want to please God by our own good deeds. We try, try, try with our own human effort, as Paul said, to, to do the best we can, check all the boxes, and, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, at the end of the day, if we've done enough, uh, God is pleased with us. We practice, we, we serve, and, and we don't even know why we're serving. I, I've had so many conversations recently with people that want to talk about serving Christ, they don't even know Jesus. They never say one thing about Christ. Not one thing about when they know him, you ask them, hey, how do you know Jesus? Oh, I, I just want to serve. Who? 
who would you like to serve? And serving's great, but 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 it's not a means of religious self-effort to for salvation and for and for sanctification. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So practice and self and discipline and obedience and just in the hope that I'll have some reward. Penance. Honest effort through self-determination. I'm going to make an effort here. I'm going to be determined. I'm, I'm going to have self-motivation and self-mastery. And, and all of this, because I can't save myself and, and because inherently I have a problem in my heart and in my life through sin that I can't correct and that could never correct, that Christ through his cross corrected, because I do all this constantly it doesn't seem to work, so I deal with chronic guilt and with apathy. That's why everybody drops off when it's not exciting anymore and when it's time to do hard things. And I'm depressed and I struggle with failure and approval addiction because it's about me and my system that's not working. But this beautiful right side, let's live on the right side of the page. This salvation by faith We trust in Christ in this beautiful, clear picture, this vivid, graphic picture of what he did for us on the cross. He's enough. It is enough. His power, his spirit is enough. Do we we trust him? His spirit helps us live to please him. And instead of constantly trying to work, we submit and commit to Christ's control. And we do so by confession and by seeking him and by prayer and by his word and by doing those things because is it a joy to have a relationship with God through Christ and not because we have to and we must. And that helps us be controlled by his spirit. And then his spirit does the work in us to help us do good work. So it is an outflow of who we are. We're not sitting in a booth um, with a pastor trying to wow him with language about serving the community. We are talking just about Jesus. And then at the end, if we have some time, we'll talk about what we're going to do next week. It just, it overflows out of who we are. And as Christ, we've already talked about this in this church. As Christ lives in us, we have self-control, not self-mastery. We're not repressing our own feelings. We are living out of God's character in our lives. And then you know what a life like that, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what the right side leads to. You see, this is a bad set of emotions over here. See this? I'm not being your therapist today, but maybe I am. Bad set of emotions through religious self-effort. This comes through the grace and power of God. And as it cascades down and God and his Holy Spirit and Christ does his work in our life, it leads to this. Joy, thankfulness. He says, if you grow down deep in Christ, you will be a thankful person. You will understand what Christ has done for you, and that will outflow your life. Love, guidance, service, forgiveness. You will be free to do this. And you'll be free to do it when it's not exciting and everybody's not looking anymore. It'll be because of Christ's work in us, not because of our own. Self-effort. We have to, must with God's help, live on the right side. We need help every day to do that. And what's really great is we got the closer. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, lives in us. And that's some pretty strong power that saved us. Don't you think he can help you live? Don't you think he can help you grow? 
Don't you think he can help you do right even when it's not popular anymore? I think so. Let's pray.